Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hello, and welcome back to Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. The title of the podcast says it all. All we do on this podcast is talk about movies, spoiler-free movie reviews, movie topics. We also talk to directors and actors. And on this episode, a very special interview with an actor that I've looked up to since I was a kid. The one and only Lou Diamond Phillips. A lot to get to on this episode. So without any further ado, let's get started. In a world where everyone and their mother has a podcast. One man stands to infiltrate the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast. A man with so much movie knowledge, he's basically like a walking IMDb with glasses. From the Nashville Podcast Network, this is Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. Lou Diamond Phillips is in a brand new movie called Adverse and really just an actor that I looked up to for a very long time for his roles in La Bamba, Stand and Deliver, Young Guns, because really for one of the first times ever as a kid, I looked up at the screen and saw somebody who looked like me. So we'll get into that. And if you don't know about Lou Diamond Phillips, well, where have you been all these years? So before we get into the interview, here's just a little highlight reel that I put together. I got the test ahead of time. I passed it out to everyone else. How did you get the test? Mailman, I strangled him. His body's decomposing in my locker. <laughs> I don't see what's wrong with some of those takes, man. That's the way I sing. It's got to be clean, Richie. Each take has to be identical. Why? So that we can edit later. Look, look, this is in Mexico. Okay? Who said it was? I live there. I understand the tradition of the song. They're always changing the lyrics. Look, but... man, I've never even been to Mexico. My music is my music, huh? You tell him, carnal. Here's a bit of a rattlesnake. <laughs> On now with Lou Diamond Phillips. I gotta say, it's a pleasure to be talking to you. I feel like you're an actor I've been looking up for a long time now. I've been around. <laughs> I've been around, my friend. So, a lot of mileage. So you grew up in Corpus Christi, Texas, right? Uh, yes, I did, yeah. And did you actually work at Whataburger? Uh, that was one of my first jobs. My very first job was as a cook's assistant uh, on the Navy base. Uh, my dad was in the Navy. 
uh, and uh, uh, got a job when I was like 16 there. But yeah, shortly thereafter, uh, I, I worked at Whataburger for quite a while. I was like a crew chief and employee of the month and all that. I mean, I, I flipped some burgers, man. <laughs> I love Whataburger. I grew up in Texas too. And I was wondering, like, if while you're working there, is it a thing that you tell your coworkers that you wanted to be an actor? Or was that like not in your plans at that time? Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, it was it was fairly well known throughout uh, high school that uh, you know I I wanted to uh, become an actor. I mean, I, I was uh, doing uh, high school theater. Uh, you know, in Texas we have the UIL, the University Interscholastic yeah. League, and so I was part of the drama club, and I was uh, you know competing a lot, and unfortunately winning awards, and so. Uh, a lot of positive reinforcement. Uh, I think everybody knew what my aspirations were at that time. So you've been in movies since the 80s. I, I just wonder at this point, does acting kind of come second nature to you or is it still like a, like a muscle that you have to flex? Uh, I mean, if you're challenging yourself, it's always a, a muscle you have to flex. You always have to work out. I mean, you know, uh, if, if you start phoning it in, man, it shows. You know, pe- people can see if you're uninspired. Uh, and I try not to do roles that, don't matter to me. You know what I mean? I, I, I have to be excited about something anytime I'm going to do it. Um, the work is too hard otherwise, you know? Uh, and, and even when I'm, you know, doing something that would be as seemingly as, uh, you know, uh, familiar as, as the role I'm playing on prodigal son, uh, there's, you know, there's, there's new stuff to it all the time. I mean, uh, uh, the layers of, you know, uh, relationship and history and baggage. I mean, it's, it's, it's always a blast and it's always fun. And the, uh, you know, the, the other actors that you work with, man, they, they really inspire you to bring your best game all the time, you know. Uh, and I also try to shake it up. I mean, like this movie Adverse that I have out that is a little independent film, you know, that Thomas Ian Nichols put together. Uh, I said yes, because, well, first of all, Thomas is a friend and so is uh, Sean Astin, who was already a part of the cast. Uh, you know, but then Mickey Ward joined and Penelope Ann Miller it's like, let's do something a little different. Let's, you know, let's get edgy. Let's not get too comfortable with it. And, uh, you know, it's always, it's always fun to join a, uh, uh, an ensemble like that where, you know, it's not about the money. It's not about the luxury of it. It's about, you know, independent film and an up-and-coming director like Brian Metcalf. And, and, you know, you keep it fresh for yourself. Yeah, and I want to talk about that movie. You played Dr. Cruz in it, and you mentioned how it had to be something that you wanted to kind of still test yourself with. So when you get that script for that movie, what's your, like, creative process to kind of find your character in that? Like, do you have a creative process to know like who you're going to be going into set from when you get the script to when you show up actually to film? Uh, Well, it's funny because it kind of came about because uh, uh, I was doing a lot of conventions, you know, before the pandemic hit and uh, uh, I was running into Thomas a lot. And, you know, I I had, you know, known him, uh, you know, uh, in and around Hollywood for a while. And he said, Hey, I'm doing this uh, independent film. You know, you want to see the script? I said, Yeah, sure. You know, and like I said, Sean was already a buddy and he was already attached. And, you know, I, and you look at the role and you go, can, Is there something that I can bring to this? Is there something that, you know, I can uh, uh, illuminate, you know, if you will, you know, as part of the character? And at, at this point in my, my life and career, there's a couple of reasons why I do something. You know, I'm, I'm excited about the role, I'm excited about who I'm working with. And this, this was both, you know, um, uh, being, you know, being a man of a certain age, you know, playing a role that is, you know, uh, um, supportive or is authoritative, you know, uh, that, that tries to keep somebody on the, on the straight and narrow, you know, I, I felt like, you know, being a father, you know, as well, this, there, there was a lot about this role that I could tap into, um, 
you know, just, just what comes to me, you know, naturally. Uh, kind of the same thing with uh, Gil Arroyo on, on Prodigal Son. You know, he's the boss, but uh, he's very, you know, fatherly toward not only his team, but, you know, Malcolm Bright, who is the, uh, the, the lead profiler. So there, there's something about, you know, my history, uh, about the, the life that I've lived that, that lends itself to, you know, to, to bringing some, uh, some experience to the role without having to, you know, hit it over the head. It's just part of who you are now. So, uh, you know, that, that, that speaks to me in, in both of the things that I've done recently. And I was recently talking to, to Michael Pena and we were talking about some of the actors who inspired us cause I'm Mexican American and he is as well. And what two of the actors he named were Edward James almost and you. And I'm sure wow. you kind of get that a lot now of like people who are like, oh, it was kind of seeing you on screen for the first time. That was like, hey, there's somebody who actually kind of looks like me for the first time. Uh, you know, I, it, it, it's interesting, man, because, you know, you just kind of you do what you do and, and you're following your own path. And then eventually you start going, wow, I guess I am carrying a flag here. I guess I am representative of, you know people who need to be represented. Um, and one of the first times I, I remember experiencing that was I spoke at uh, NYU, uh, you know, uh, at the film school here in New York. And uh, a young Puerto Rican actress, you know, uh, said, you know, about Stand and Deliver, that she finally looked up and saw people that looked like her on screen. And that's why she decided to pursue acting, you know. Uh, and, it, and it's interesting, when I look back, uh, a lot of the guys that were inspirational to me in the 70s you know, with the swarthy guys, you know, uh, De Niro and Pacino and Hoffman, it's like, okay, not everybody has to be Robert Redford. You know, maybe I can actually, you know, have a, have a career at this. Um, and then uh, I wrote a film, you know, uh, in the uh, early 90s called Ambition, where I actually played Filipino-American. And uh, Cecilia Peck was my leading lady, and I got to have dinner with her father, Gregory Peck, at, at a certain point. And he said, uh, you know, Lou, you remind me of my old friend, Tony. <laughs> and I thought, what? huge praise that I was kind of on his path, man, that I was kind of carrying the torch that he started. Uh, and that is, you know, representing so many different communities, you know, not just what I am, you know, blood wise, but, you know, the, the Latino community and the Native American community. And just, you know, I mean, I played Inuit, I've played Asian, <laughs> you know, uh, like in the King and I on Broadway. And, and that's what it's about is, is representing each of these communities with, you know, with dignity and with respect. And that's really become kind of a, you know, a touchstone of my career. And your breakout role was La Bamba, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. And I think it, cause it's not only the story of Richie Valens, but ultimately it's like the story about brothers, which I think why it still resonates now. But I feel like it's hard to find any kind of footage of Richie Valens and the way his kind of memory lives on is because of your portrayal in that movie. Like at what point did you realize that you weren't just taking on another role when you were doing that? Um, from the second I read the script, you know, I mean, I, I, I got cast out of uh, Dallas, Texas, uh, and, um, you know, I, I had no idea why this Hollywood film company was doing this national, you know, talent search. It was, it was ridiculous. I, I really could not believe that I even had the opportunity to audition for this. Um, and I read the script and I just went, oh, 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 I knew it was the chance of a lifetime. Um, and I, even my acting coach said, you're never going to get this role, but hopefully you're going to do a great job and they'll give you something smaller, you know, like a <laughs> drummer or something, you know? Um, uh, and, and so I mean, it was, it was really lightning in a bottle when I got the role and, and then, you know, working with Luis Valdez and becoming close with the family, which was, you know, like getting thrown into the deep end of the pool. You know, I, I met Bob Morales at, at the, at the screen test, you know, on the, on the, on, on the Warner brothers lot. I mean, it was, uh, 
it was crazy. Uh, so I knew, I knew it was a big deal from the beginning. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, even, even beyond that. So I, I, I felt, you know, very fortunate. Uh, and it's funny because you're right. I mean, there, there literally is only a, um, two, I think, uh, film clips of Richie, one, uh, from American Bandstand yeah. and one from a movie called Go Johnny Go, uh, where he seems, come on, let's go. So, you know, there wasn't a whole lot to hang my head on performance wise. Uh, I really relied, you know, on the family to kind of fill in the blanks for me. What is that like talking to the real life Bob when you're going to play his brother? Like, does he start to like see his brother in you? Like, how does that relationship work? Uh, I, it, you know, I mean, they were they were so kind to me from the beginning. I mean, literally, Bob uh, said later, you know, the, the the when he laid eyes on me and then saw the audition, he goes, he knew that I was going to get the job, uh, which was really sweet. But, you know, Connie and Irma, I mean, all, all of the siblings, uh, little Mario, who was only a baby at the time, uh, and his mom, you know, uh, Connie, she was around. So they were there every single day. And uh, um, it would always be like, well, would Richie do this or what would Richie do in this situation? You know, they were, they were able to tell me these things. And they, it wasn't just about Richie the rock star. It was about Richie the human being, you know, the 17-year-old kid. Uh, and, and so uh, that, you know, that was really... Uh, uh, I think what fleshed out the character and, and, and helped him, you know, be, be more than just you know, an image, if you will. I wonder now if you're ever out in public and you hear the song Sleepwalk by Santo and Johnny, do you immediately have like flashbacks to filming that movie? Uh, always, man, always. And and what I always go to, because it's what, you know, it's, what it's playing in, uh, over the, in the film, is that, uh, that hillside. Yeah. And Luis Feltes <laughs> made me, so I run up that thing like 12 times, man. By the time I was over, I thought I was going to drop dead. I mean, my, my legs were on fire. I don't know what he was looking for, but we ran up that hill so many times, man. After that movie came out, were people just yelling Rishi at you all the time in public? Uh, they still do. They still do? <laughs> Did you get to keep anything cool from the movie? Uh, I still have the green guitar. Uh, but it's in, it's in California right now, my house there. I'm in New York City uh, where I'm filming Prodigal Son. And uh, when the pandemic hit, you know, the rug got kind of pulled out from under us. So I was not, not able to go home. Uh, and so we, uh, my family, uh, Yvonne and my 13 year old daughter have been living here in New York city for, uh, you know, for a year and a half. I mean, uh, uh you know, but it is what it is. Uh, but yeah, I, I kept the uh, green guitar. And what was the technique you learned? Cause you didn't learn to play guitar for the movie. You just kind of learned like the fingering style. Is that what it was? Yeah, no, I, I learned, uh, I, I still don't play the guitar. I had to learn all of the fingering just for, uh, you know, just for the, uh, for the film. Uh, and it was stupid me. I didn't, I didn't pick it up. I should have picked it up afterwards, <laughs> but I didn't move on to other things. So the following year in uh, 1988, Stand and Deliver comes out and that movie has just a, such a large cast. I wonder like when you're filming that, how hard is it to kind of wrangle everybody in to do a scene? It's not difficult, man. I mean, you know, it's like we've got a, a, a pretty massive uh, ensemble cast for Prodigal Son as well. Um, uh, and for the movie adverse that I just did, uh, it was literally just one day of shooting all my scenes with Thomas and Nichols. So that becomes easy. I mean, that's, that's, it's, it's not like, you know, putting together a, <laughs> an amateur show in, in the uncle's barn. Uh, there, there's an entire army of people who are doing scheduling and doing, um, uh, uh, wrangling of the actors and whatnot. So, uh, it's, as a professional, you're there when you're supposed to be there and, you know, you do what, uh, what's, what's required of you that day. I wonder when you're doing that movie, the the line that always sticks out to me is your line when you're like, I strangled him and his body is decomposing in my locker. Like, how hard is that to say with a straight face with everybody there? No, you look forward to it, man. I mean, but that's, you know, that's <laughs> once again, that's just part of the acting. I mean, it's, uh, 
you know, there, there, there were lines in Longmire and there were lines, uh, continue to be lines in, in Prodigal Son, especially when I'm working with Keiko again, uh, where, you know, you, you, you get tickled. You just get, you know, and, and, uh, thank goodness there's always take two if you, if you crack up, you know, but, uh, yeah, that, that particular line I knew was going to go down in history. <laughs> was that a genuine reaction in the movie? Like the the laughter seems just so genuine after that. Yeah, it was. It was. You know, I mean, the entire you know the entire cast you know got into it. Uh, so uh, you know, especially Will Cote, he was just a wonderful, wonderful guy. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I think quite often the uh, the warmth and the the chemistry and the happiness that you see on screen uh, is is the real deal. You know, it's hard to. Hard to manufacture that. Well, really appreciate the time. Everybody go check out the new movie, Adverse. Check out um, Lou and Prodigal Son. And it's been really great getting to talk to you. I just wanted to really let you know like how much your work has kind of affected my life. And, you know, just being able to see somebody, like, looks different and kind of hey, represents man, the story for me. Don't the torch and wave the flag, bro. You know, you got to represent, right? Yeah. Uh, I appreciate that. And uh, I'll send you a, a nice Whataburger care package wherever you are right now. I mean, I... <laughs> What's your favorite thing to get from there? Do you get sick? Did you get sick of that food while you were working there? No, not at all. I mean, man, you, you know, you, you because you're because you're an employee, you got you know you got the employee uh, employee meals, and you know, they kind of you had like these little uh, coupons that you would turn in. But uh, yeah, man, I think I eat Whataburger every day. I, it was it was fantastic, and not only that, I got to make it myself. So you know, I made it just like I wanted it. <laughs> well, appreciate the time. I'll talk to you later. All right, thanks, Mike. All right, have a good one. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. Oh, yeah. And catch us 
every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. All right, so that was super cool getting to talk to Lou Diamond Phillips. One of my favorite movies is Easily La Bama. I talk about it all the time. And if you haven't seen it by this point, I highly encourage you to go check it out. It's about three bucks to rent on Amazon. Eventually, it'll come back on Netflix, but you have to rent it right now. And the other thing I loved about watching this movie as a kid is that exposed me to music I would not have been otherwise. Like at the time, I was super into just punk rock stuff. But it was hearing Richie Valens music that really turned me on to just having this affinity for this era of music. And now it kind of lives forever in this movie. So you'll get to learn more about the songs that Richie Valens put out. And you'll go back and want to listen to Donna. Or his first song, Come On, Let's Go. And then if you're like me, you'll probably get into some Buddy Holly too. And he actually does this song in the movie. Crying, waiting, hoping you'll come back. And that's probably why this is my favorite Buddy Holly song. It's because I learned it from La Bamba. But during that interview, we referenced a song that plays at the end of La Bamba. It's by Santo and Johnny, and it's called Sleepwalk. And it happens during a very famous scene in the movie. It's the ending scene. The scene where Richie Valens and his brother Bob are running up the hill. And you learn about his death. It, it just happened. And this is kind of the scene it cuts away to. And I've never heard a song encapsulate the entire emotion of a movie the way this song does to where it's the only thing I can associate it with. And then the famous scene occurs when the song cuts out and you just hear his brother Bob just yell Richie, just Richie! And it gets me every single time and it makes me emotional. But what I wanted to talk about here was just the greatest movie ending songs of all time. So the songs that come on towards the very end, the very last scene of the movie and just leave a lasting impression to make it just that much more powerful because that's what music is. It has the ability to make a decent movie great and really kind of invoke that emotion in you to really bring a movie home. If a movie has a great ending song, that is what I look for. Like, I in my head sometimes will drive around listening to music thinking about... (laughs) If I was in a movie, what song I would like to be, you know, played right now? And I have like a whole list of soundtrack songs to my life. But it often fits this description of what song do you want playing in the credits to your the, the end of your life? So I've come up with a list of the top five movie ending songs, at least according to me, 
also have some honorable mentions, but let's start first with number five. And hear me out on this one, but it's Flo Rida featuring Kesha right round. See if you can name the movie. So that is from the movie The Hangover in 2009. And what I loved about what this song meant to the movie was this is when you learn everything that happened that they just alluded to in the movie. It's when at the very end of the movie, they find the digital camera with all the pictures they took from the night they can't remember. And then the credits roll, this song is playing and you figure out and learn everything they did. One of the funniest gags ever in a movie. And why I think this song is so great because I think we're going to look back on this movie and realize how funny this movie was when it came out, but also how much it represents that time. came out in 2009, but I feel it really kind of describes what the 2010s would come to be. And this sound of music specifically, I think right now I'm in my head, I'm kind of defining what the 2010s were. And this is exactly what I think about now when I think of the 2010s. So... For all those reasons, I think it's a great movie ending song. Putting that one at number five. At number four, I'm going to put another emotional one on here. See if you can name the movie. How can we not talk about family when family's on and we got everything I would do? You were standing there by my side. And now you're going to be with me for the last ride. It's been a long day without you, my friend. And I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. So that is Wiz Khalifa featuring Charlie Puth. See you again. And that is from Fast and the Furious 6. So you'll remember this scene because when they filmed this movie, Paul Walker was no longer living. He had passed away. And the scenes he's in, it's all CGI'd in. They took past footage and digitally put it in over his brother. And then that's how he's in the movie. So in this scene, it's Vin Diesel and him driving side by side. And you just get that glimpse of Paul Walker's face looking at him. And you can, if you really pay attention, you can tell how digital it looks. But like, what a story to a movie. Like, that made me want to go see that when it came out. And it's a piece of movie history that's just kind of eerie in a way, really. How, how all that happened. And really just kind of sad, but I think this song is a perfect way to kind of take all those emotions and put it into one scene. So I put that one at number five. At number three, I'm going with a song by the Pixies called Where Is My Mind? See if you can name the movie. One of the best movie scenes ever. Even if it wasn't just the ending, but it is from the movie Fight Club. And it's when the whole world that they have created in this movie just comes crashing down. The perfect song, the perfect situation, and just an overall chaotic movie. It doesn't get any better than this. But it will get slightly better because that's only at number three. But you get what I'm saying. 
At number two, I would say probably more iconic than my number one. And if even if you've never seen this movie, you probably know the song and know the scene. But see if you can name it. It's called Don't You Forget About Me by The Simple Minds. Don't you I'm sure you can guess it. And that is from 1985. None other than The Breakfast Club. And this one, just it's a no-brainer why it makes the list. Because you associate this song with that movie. It's really the only song I can name from this band. And just that ending scene of him walking across the football field putting his hand and fist in the air and the classic 80s freeze frame. That is why it comes in at number two. Now, before we get to number one, here are some honorable mentions. Had to throw in a couple Marvel movies in there and the ending of Iron Man when he reveals to everybody he is Iron Man. And then, of course, the song Iron Man plays. Along those same lines in the Marvel Universe is the ending of Guardians of the Galaxy with Baby Groot dancing to this song. And then if you want to go way back with The Graduate and The Sound of Silence by Simon and Garfunkel. Now, if you don't remember this scene, it's when they I run off, run onto the bus, completely ecstatic of what they just did of, you know, breaking off the wedding, running away with each other. And then once this song hits, it just kind of sets in what they have done. And that feeling of, oh, no, I made a huge mistake kind of sets in. And this song matches it perfectly. And then my other honorable mention would be from the movie Pulp Fiction. That's the lively ones with Surf Rider. Really, this movie has just a great soundtrack all around, but this would be the ending song from one of the best scenes ever, probably in all of Quentin Tarantino's movies. And then at number one, the movie with the best ending song ever... Well, guys, I mentioned it earlier. It's Santo and Johnny Sleepwalk. You already knew that was going to be number one. Would you expect any less? I just did an entire interview with Lou Diamond Phillips because of this movie. Of course it's my number one. There we go. Let's get into a movie review today. We're talking about Tom and Jerry, the brand new adaptation of a cartoon you may or may not remember. I want to get into that. Before I talk about the movie, I will do a spoiler-free review. Always keep them spoiler-free on the podcast. Here's just a little bit of the trailer. If a picture of these mouses tweeted up to Instabook Face or TikTok, we will be ruined. No, sir, that's not going to happen. That rodent is toast. 
not let this hotel be ruined by a cat and a mouse! He's dying with us. I think I might have just pulled this off. Really? All right, so I think this is kind of a new trend we're seeing in movies, and not completely new, but I think what's been kind of the norm lately is just to remake a bunch of movies that we're all familiar with now, but it's 20 years later, and we want to revisit these stories we know and love. And movie studios see this as kind of an easy win. Like, oh, you remember this? Well, you're going to love it when we make it again. It's like serving leftovers. But I think also what they're kind of trying to grasp onto now is banking on our nostalgia. Nostalgia is such a powerful thing when it comes to movies, TVs, and music. So there's a lot to work with there. If you were a fan of something as a kid... 20 years later, as you're an adult, you're going to well, be like, oh, I remember that from when I was a kid. And I talk about a lot of things on this podcast that still hold a close place to my heart because I remember when they were a kid. So I think that's kind of the case with Tom and Jerry. Now, Tom and Jerry are even before my time. I was born in 1991. And when I was a kid, I knew of Tom and Jerry, but it wasn't like they were brand new cartoons to me. It was kind of a classic cartoon, even to me, that I would watch old episodes of. And the thing I love about Tom and Jerry is it's classic cartoon violence. There's nothing wrong with classic cartoon violence. We don't really have that anymore. All of the Looney Tunes got their axes taken away. You can't blow up. <laughs> Wiley Coyote can't blow up himself anymore. I think that was all kind of stripped away when they you know, made the Looney Tunes on HBO Max. So that's all gone. On the other side of that, a kid will watch a Marvel movie and see people fighting and there's bloodshed and there's people dying in those movies. So I just think it's weird that we take it out of cartoons where it's so super like, I mean, I wouldn't watch a cartoon and want to go smash somebody's head with an anvil. That's just not, in, that's not what I picked up from watching these cartoons as a kid. And that's what I love about Tom and Jerry. It was like the original classic cartoon violence, literally game of cat and mouse. So I think going into this movie, I kind of thought of that a little bit. But also, I just remember watching the cartoon, like the classic, really kind of violent, like straight up Jerry hitting Tom with like something and making his head pry open. I would even always quote the classic, like Tom yelled, yeah, like that's funny. So I was excited to see that play out in this movie. So what this movie did was bring Tom and Jerry to life as cartoons. So it's kind of an old homage to those classic movies that used to be humans in a movie but animated characters we saw it first in who framed roger rabbit like that was the first time they kind of used this technology so i think this is a nice throwback to that in the class you have chloe grace moretz you have colin jost you have michael benya you have ken jong so it's a pretty funny cast and the thing about this movie it's just a fun movie it's a nostalgic trip there's nothing deep or complicated here what I kind of found is I'm getting a little bit old for kids' movies now. Hear me out. I know I am an almost 30-year-old man, but I can't appreciate a good kids' movie. And up to about, oh, I'd say when the pandemic started, I would have no shame in going to a kids' movie alone. I would take it in as how I have to watch every movie. Like, how enjoyable is it for me? Could I recommend it to other people that I know will probably take their kids? Because I think over the years, kids' movies have evolved to the point to where kids really enjoy them, but there's also stuff in there for adults. Do I think that's the case with Tom and Jerry? After watching it, no, I don't think it's the case because this is just a straight-up kids' movie. Like I said, nothing overly complicated. Everything is 
exactly what you kind of expect. It's fun. The only thing I was kind of wanting a little bit more was kind of the classic look of the cartoons. They look a little more CGI than I was expecting, but I guess you got to update it so kids watching this aren't like, why does this look super old? So I get that part of it. I even found myself yelling at the TV screen for a little bit. I was that into it. So so I would say definitely if you have younger kids, probably 10 and under, maybe even younger than that, that can just enjoy like funny cartoons doing dumb things on screen. But overall, I had to grade it as being an adult and knowing that this movie was not made for me, but it was still enjoyable for me to watch. So I would give it three out of five slaps to the head. And it's available to watch free if you have a subscription to HBO Max and it's also in theaters. So there you go, Tom and Jerry. All right, let's get into some movie news now. I'm joined by my co-host and fiance, Kelsey. How are you doing today? I am good. Big movie news. We have the announcement of the new Spider-Man movie. I like how they teased this movie. They all kind of came out and gave like the fake movie titles to begin with because Tom Holland is kind of known for spoiling Avengers movies and he spoiled the title of the Spider-Man movie in the past, so they kind of made a joke about it. But it is called Spider-Man No Way Home, and it's coming out December 17th, and I'm pretty excited. I think overall, the Spider-Man movies are my favorite Marvel movies as a collection. Like, from the very beginning, I think Spider-Man's been my favorite Marvel character, and I think they really have just kind of found what Spider-Man is now and what makes him great. The cast is amazing, so I'm really excited for this one. Crazy thing about it, though, is it's fully on going to come out in movie theaters. That's kind of exciting, isn't it? I'm hesitant to get excited. (laughs) Hesitant, because we're seeing other stuff just already getting delayed a little bit more. But I feel like this is when it's really going to come in full force. They haven't officially delayed like Black Widow or anything yet. It'll probably come soon, I'm just assuming. But this one just straight up saying coming out in theaters. So I hope it comes out when it says it does. I'm excited for this one. Also in movie news, Mission Impossible, A Quiet Place 2, and some other Paramount movies will come directly. Well, they're going to come out in theaters and then 45 days later, they're coming out on Paramount+. Plus. So I think that's kind of like not what we want. I think you want same day like HBO Max is doing. I think they're kind of copying out of that whole kind of structure of like okay we'll put it out in theaters and then 45 days later it'll come on the streaming service that's not really going to make me want to sign up for paramount plus and we were just talking about before this that i'm thinking about getting it next week because one they're getting the spongebob movie which i want to see and you're rolling your eyes at me i am but i want to see that movie and i kind of want to see what they're gonna offer and i know these new movies won't be there immediately but i think there's some kind of area there for them to work with and also they have nickelodeon and i'm a i i love the old 90s cartoons so i think there's nowhere else for me to watch those right now than this and it's only five bucks a month so just what we need another five bucks i think i'll give it a run and test it out and i'll report back here if it's worth it i don't i don't really know what they're gonna have like i was looking up like exactly what they're gonna have and aside from what they've been promoting on those commercials they ran during the Super Bowl, not a whole lot of what new content they're going to have. So we'll see if it's worth the five bucks with ads. With That's five what with ads. Yeah. Oh, it always kind of sucks, doesn't it? You get I, I don't like those services where you pay them a certain amount and there's still commercials. None of the services we have right now have commercials. Yeah, that's because we pay for Hulu with no commercials. But why is that even a thing? <laughs> like it's it feels like cable. 
Like, you're already paying for it. I don't want to stream a show and have commercials inside of it. I will say it's worth the extra $7 a month to not get commercials. Oh, I agree. It's worth it. But I don't think you should have to pay more. I think that's the whole benefit of having a streaming service is you don't pay for commercials. But you I know mean, how... $5 a month is pretty cheap. That's probably how they recoup the costs. It's commercials. It is cheap. But you know how annoyed I get when there's an ad on a YouTube commercial? You do get very... I yell getting, at the TV. You're yelling now. I'm like, it ruins the YouTube watching experience to watch a 30-second ad for a minute video. Ridiculous. You're very passionate about this right now. I dislike ads that you can't skip when I'm just trying to watch a video, trying to watch some cat play with a roll of yarn or something. And I have to watch a thing about Liberty Insurance. Okay, well, if you're trying to watch videos of kittens playing with yarn, you probably deserve to have to watch a Liberty Insurance. Okay. <laughs> and finally, in movie news, I saw Daniel Kaluuya from Get Out. He came out and said that he was not invited to the premiere of the movie back when it came out in 2017. I thought that was interesting that he is the main star of that movie. And while he was filming that movie, he was also shooting Black Panther, but... He knew that that was coming out. There was going to be a premiere. So he actually cleared his schedule to be invited to that premiere. But he was never invited. He said, like, the invite never came. And he was like, okay, I guess I'll just stay home. And somebody texted him afterwards, like, about the the premiere. I just thought that was weird. Because you kind of feel like when you're the star of a movie, you don't know it's going to be a hit yet. But you're like, all right, at least I'm a part of it. And to not get invited to something like that, wouldn't you feel awful? I'd feel very sad. That's really sad. It's like when you were a kid and you would hear someone talking about their birthday party and then you didn't get an invite. And I get it if you're like not the main person in the movie. But he's if you're a side character. character. But you're the main character in a movie and Jordan Peele can't give you an invite. I thought that was pretty messed up. Yeah, that's pretty crappy. I just imagine I would feel awful and then I wouldn't want to promote the movie after it comes out because you're like, they didn't even invite me to the premiere. Why am I going to go out of my way to promote this movie? But again, I think that movie was great for him. It really put him into the level he is now. And he didn't need to go to the premiere. He went on to do Black Panther. He's been in a lot of great things now. So I just think that Jordan Peele will look back. He hasn't commented on it yet, but like realize we probably messed up in not inviting him. I don't know if it was like a strategic thing why they didn't invite him, but that seems pretty messed up. Yeah, you'd have to think that wasn't just like a small oversight. You think it was like a failed email? Like, oh, we didn't invite him? Like, I, I just feel like there was something, a reason there why he didn't get invited. I don't know. I don't know. If Yeah, like it feels like we didn't, we didn't get invited to a birthday party, which I wasn't invited to many birthday parties as a kid. I don't think I can name one birthday party that wasn't family that I was invited to. Can you? For myself? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so you were cooler than me growing up. I wasn't cooler. What's it like being popular and having friends? I wasn't popular. Uh, I awkwardly, like, tagged along to somebody's birthday party in high school and definitely wasn't invited. That was a very uncomfortable experience. See, like, I, The person opened the door and for sure wondered why I was there. And I was oh, like, that is awkward. Yeah. See, the thing with me is I was always hanging out with people who were older than me. Like, I hung out a lot with my cousins who were older and my brother who was older. And I would just kind of tag along and be the young kid hanging out with older kids a lot of the time. And I guess by association, I was like, not cool, but accepted. They're like, oh, that's just somebody's younger brother, younger cousin. So I would ha kind of have an in there. And it would be weird to be in those situations. And somebody from like my actual class is there too. And I'm like, 
just hear this loser <laughs> here by because I know somebody who's related to somebody who put on a party. But that's my kind of yeah. That's how I was growing up. Never really went to parties aside from hanging out with my cousins and my brother. I mean, I think I stopped going to birthday parties like after like nine. So I I stopped being cool after like elementary school. Well, maybe we'll be cool someday. Probably not. I just want to grow up to be cool someday. <laughs> but anyway, that is the episode for this week. And as always, we got to give our listener shout out of the week. To get one of these, all you have to do is simple. Just tweet me, send me a DM on Instagram, or you can email me moviemikeD at gmail.com. And I got a really nice email from Tanya, who sometimes I open up the email and there's always just one that makes my day. They put in a lot of thought to like write out like how long they've been listening or just what they know me from. And I read them all. So if you send me an email, know that I go through all those and check them out and I reply to them, even if I don't read them here on the podcast. But this one came to us from Tanya. She said, Mike, I wanted to thank you for being so much fun to listen to on your podcast. I've been listening to the podcast since day one. I love that, first of all. Like day one, I'll admit, when I first started this podcast, wasn't that great. I am not really an outgoing person. And the only place that I can really like talk and quote unquote perform is behind a microphone. Like whether it was when I was doing stand up comedy, uh, when I had a podcast back when nobody listened to podcasts or now doing this podcast. And even when I started this, it was kind of weird to go back in debt to that creative role to where I was doing all the talking to where people who know me from the Bobby Bone show, they hear me very rarely and it's usually very quick, and here I am doing 45-minute episodes, so appreciate anybody who listened from day one and listened to that first episode and was like, this is something I still want to listen to. Uh, she went on to say, I listened to the Bobby Bone Show, hashtag B-Team, Four Things with Amy Brown, and the Bobby Cast. so naturally I had to come support you here. Plus, it was a bonus to actually get to hear you instead of you telling the studio something and then relaying it or having a brief moment on the air. Just really appreciated that. And yeah, that is kind of my role on the Bobby Bone Show. Like I am in there. A lot of the stuff I do is behind the scenes. And if something happens during the show, I usually like shout something out. I'll fact check something. So that's kind of my role on the air. And I like it. Like I don't really in that setting want to be a person on the air. And I love to be able to do kind of things that I know about, which are movies, and do it in this kind of format. So I think I love that I've been able to kind of express it here and that you guys listening have been into it. So appreciate all the day ones out there. Appreciate you, Tanya, for sending this email. And that is our episode for today. Anything else you want to say, Kelsey? I can't think of anything. That's great. What should we watch this weekend? A new episode of WandaVision. WandaVision. I love WandaVision. We've watched it from the very beginning, and I think maybe the first two episodes, I didn't know if I was going to love it because I loved vision as a character in the marvel movies and wanda really kind of became like my secondary like really great character and i love how different it is and how this series is actually going to tie back into the marvel universe in the movies which they've never done before like all the other marvel movie tv show adaptations have had kind of like an uh they allude to what happened in the avengers but this will be the only time ever that the TV show will go back into the movies. So that'll be fun to watch. If you're not watching WandaVision, it's probably because you have too many things to watch. But another great TV show recommendation. And it'll tie back into movies. So that's how it works. All right. Well, that's the episode. Thanks, everybody, for hanging out. We'll talk to you again 
next Monday. Hope you enjoyed the interview with Lou Diamond Phillips. Um, if you don't mind, go tag him on Twitter saying that you liked him on the episode. Maybe you'll see a bunch of those and be like, hey, I just did some random interview. I think people actually like it. So go tag him on Twitter. He is at Lou D. Phillips on Twitter. Just tell him you listen to him on Movie Mike's Movie Podcast, and maybe he'll come back and do another episode. Also, before we go, it's now the, what, one-year anniversary since the first time you were on this podcast? You're right, it is. So, and now you're like my go-to co-host. Probably because I'm the only one readily available. (laughs) Readily available, and we live together. So, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for being the co-host, and thank you for bringing a new breath of fresh air to the podcast. You're welcome. It's fun. Keep doing more episodes? Yes. All right. Well, we'll talk to you guys next week here on the podcast. And until then, later. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.